gentlemen, and you're very welcome to the second episode of the Huddle Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Paul Gerard for a second episode, as I said. The Huddle Podcast is a podcast dedicated to software testing and the wider uh, software development industry. And uh, in the first episode, we featured Ray RL and he was discussing Agile and all things Agile. And today I'm delighted to have Paul Gerard, who is a former chair of Eurostar Conferences. He has a, he speaks now as a test consultant in many different locations. And today we have a wide-ranging discussion lined up for, with Paul. So, Paul, good afternoon to you. Uh, thanks, Ronan. Nice to hear your voice again. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Good. I'm glad you could join us today. We've lots to discuss today. I don't want to insult you by saying you have a long career, but <laughs> say, it, say it the nicest way. You have an extensive career in software testing. So we might start at the beginning and get how you got involved in testing. Well, as a, as a degree, I did an engineering degree, and I was uh, going to be a civil engineer. I, did, I got a job in a civil engineer's uh, consulting of consulting engineers office and uh, on my first day very excited london new job big city all this kind of thing uh, they sat me down and said we've no work for you but we've just had this computer delivered none of us have the time to play with it here are the manuals go and sit at the desk go and have a play and see what you can do with it so actually my, my introduction to software in I'd, I'd used computers before but my introduction to software was actually in my first job which was nothing to do with software it's completely accidental so from there, I, over the course of two or three jobs, I morphed from engineering into software directly and probably spent 10 years uh, as a developer and working as a project lead, project manager kind of thing. The last project I worked on around 1991, I think it was, I was asked to write a test strategy for uh, this, what would now be called a data warehousing project, but back in the day, it was not called that. It was just a marketing information uh, system. And I had no idea how to write a test strategy. And I'd been kind of dropped in it. So I went around the corner to a good bookshop, a good technical bookshop, and bought Boris Beiser's Software Testing Techniques book. And it, although it's like an inch and a half thick and, you know, I don't know, 600 pages or whatever it was, I flipped through the first few chapters and I thought, oh, this is good stuff. So I basically transcribed. I stole quite a lot of information from that and wrote, I don't know, 10 or 11 page document, which was just test strategy for a data warehouse system and uh, everyone said that's the best test strategy we've ever seen I thought well thank you Boris Beiser <laughs> so he got me going so I owe him a big uh, debt of gratitude well, you know what to say um, good artists borrow and great artists steal so <laughs> well uh, I, I definitely did some theft there there you go <laughs> so that's what uh, that sort of got you started on the past then yeah, yeah. And, and since, since then, that was in the uh, early 90s. When that project came to an end, I wasn't a tester. I was just like uh, the guy on the project who yeah. did, did some writing on testing. And from there, I kind of, uh, there was a hiatus because uh, right about then, there was a bit of a recession going on. It was difficult to get a job. And I came across this ad advertisement for a, uh, a role at a testing services company. And I thought, oh, I know all about testing. I've read the book. You know, so uh, off I went. And I got a job with System Evolutif, which is doesn't exist anymore now, but some people, you know, of my generation might remember them as a small boutique uh, software testing services business with Paul Herslick and uh, Cindy Morelli, who got me started in, in, in this game. So uh, again, big debt of gratitude to them as well. And I've been in the kind of testing services business ever since, uh, partly to provide you know, people and, and uh, but more often uh, consulting and, and training, coaching, mentoring, that kind of game. Uh, and I like to sort of do things that are kind of off the wall or interesting to me or the next big thing. So I've got a kind of a, 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 
the way I look at my career, I feel like I've got a track record of trying to write about and talk about and sell training on the back of the next big thing, whether the next big thing is uh, client server testing, GUI testing back in the day, year 2000, and then internet came along and I kind of, when, when mobile came along, I really didn't think that was uh, terribly interesting. So I kind of skipped that one, which was a big mistake, I have to, <laughs> I have to say. So, uh, so I kind of missed that one. That was a big blind spot on my part. But essentially, my role has always been one of helping people to do, to understand what testing is first, first and foremost, but also to help them do a better job and to give guidance and support and, and assistance in general in yeah. the testing testing space that's interesting and you would you say then you found your niche with software testing like because uh, well <laughs> as soon as you start doing it you tell it well this is for me or what did this is that something that might have evolved slowly <laughs> I, I that's a good i don't know i've never been asked that before yeah. that's a good one um when i started i probably had in my mind that it was a temporary thing because i at heart i'm still a developer um I, I mean until quite recently i used to write code every day now it's probably I write some code every week and I'm, I'm clinging on to my technical skills as best I can yeah. uh, because I do a lot of experimentation with open source. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting you asked that because um, I could easily have gone back to software development, which was my first love, if you like. Yeah. Uh, but I've always had, I don't know, it just seemed to be that it seemed a safer bet to carry on as I was, I suppose, could be said. Yeah, so I'm happy enough. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm not. I don't uh, pine for working in a sweatshop writing code for someone else, uh, which is what a lot of people find themselves doing. Um, so uh, I'm very happy with the testing uh, business, and I've made a lot of friends. I mean, there's uh, I don't know half a dozen people, maybe more, I met in 1992 who are still good friends. Yeah. So so that's how great the community has been to me. That's uh, it's very interesting and. Uh it sort of mirrors my next question like about how testing has evolved because you might be give a good synopsis anyone even or just from the UK how it's progressed but even compared like if you talk about the two strands like development and testing there's sort of at one point they were two separate things but the more we go on I think they're, they're getting closer and closer as in the roles are starting to merge more and more uh, maybe I mean I think um, I mean from memory when I got started in, uh, what was it, 1992, we, we looked uh, closely at you know, who, was, who was talking about what, who was doing what in the testing business. Uh, and my business partners, their background had been uh, in data migration, uh, sorry, data and software migration. So uh, migrating COBOL to COBOL from uh, Unisystem to IBM or going from COBOL to C and doing a, a software migration in that regard. So a lot of that involved testing. So the people I, I joined were, that was their background. They wanted to do conversion projects, mm. migration projects. And so we, we shopped around. So who's talking about testing? Who knows what in this industry? Are we in uh, software migration or are we in testing? And uh, we went along to uh, SIGIST, you know, the, the, the British Computer Society Special Interest Group in Software Testing, or SIGIST. Yeah. So all, all the Brits know it as SIGIST. So mm. we looked around and we listened to the talks and we thought, you know what, we know more than these guys, so maybe we should stick around and, and stick with testing. What was apparent to me looking back was, I would say, the whole notion of testing as a career choice was like not on the table then. I mean, there were obviously individuals who were... Uh, you know, professional testers, let's call them, who had, uh, you know, previous careers 
and, and long-lasting careers, you know. Um, but it, it seemed to me that a lot of people were kind of in transit and that testing was seen as a necessary evil, but not something that you um, stuck with, if you like, as a career. And, and that's all changed, clearly. I mean, the, the whole... Uh, panoply and of, of information and training and the certification schemes that that, that, that are pervasive now. Um, the whole the whole industry, I think, has kind of the word flowered or matured or I, I'm thinking of a, I can't think of a good word for it. Yeah. But but it's it's like now there are armies of people who are very definitely promoting um, themselves as professional testers, the industry as a profession, and. And uh, it's it's all pervasive. So uh, every project, every software environment has testing in it. But as I think you mentioned a minute ago, you know, the the, the whole notion of um, testing as as a activity at the end is, yeah. I think, uh, very heartily and strongly um, disputed now and let's say discouraged that's not to say there are not projects that have um that, that operate in a waterfall or a structured way with uh, teams operating at the end doing the testing job on systems or systems of systems and acceptance testing i mean of course that still exists to a great degree certainly for the bigger organizations corporations banks and so on uh, they have they still operate very largely in a waterfall kind of way and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think two things have happened. One is the whole thing about Agile, which came along about 15 years ago and emerged. Yeah. Although although it was written about for the first time in 15 years ago, I think there were teams that operated in an Agile way before that. And I certainly felt I did when I was a developer because, you know, I, you know, I, I, I well recall things like stand-ups and prototyping and uh, being having an on-site customer and and a lot of the the the, the, the a lot of the agility that one needs to build software in a in a, a rapidly changing business uh, was kind of that's exactly what I did in the 80s and 90s early 90s. So um, a lot of the agile thing I, I'm probably drifting off piece now, but but a lot of the agile stuff um, to me was not new. It was just like oh okay, so when someone's put a name on it. Uh, someone's put a structure to it. Someone's kind of written it down. But it, that's how a lot of software was built beforehand uh, in using different uh, aspects of the disciplines of Agile. I mean, the other, stuff, the other stuff that's changed, needless to say, is uh, the technology is uh, transformed. So although, you know, the mainframes were, uh, you know, and mini computers were kind of the big deal in the in the 80s and they're not as prominent now, they still exist, of course, but the whole notion of client server, which I think was the biggest change that happened. The internet to me wasn't the biggest change. Client server was the big mm -hmm. change where you move from centralized systems to distributed systems. That's huge. Yeah. That affects absolutely everything. And the internet is just one example. Of course, it's a magnificent achievement, but actually all the difficult thinking had been done before the internet came along. So I, that's why I think uh, client server was uh, so much more important in some respects to us as testers. Mm. And the, the whole, uh, you know, the more recent changes like uh, virtualization and containers, which are the uh, massively popular and gaining support, or and, and the change from um, waterfall to agile, and I think continuous delivery DevOps and the whole digital thing is a new transformation that's going on. So 
Um, and digital is really still quite new. It's, it's still in its first two or three years of existence, I think. So um, one, of the, one of the good things, but also one of the bad things about having been around for so long is I remember the good old bad old days of the 80s. And then when agility came along, you think, OK, fantastic. We're going to make the world change the world using that. But it's taken 15 years to get from no agility to where we are now. And I'd say we're still only halfway or less than halfway on that journey. And now digital has come along and the whole um, uh, Internet of Things, uh, uh, DevOps, Shift Left. These are all very recent changes. And again, these are things that will take 15 years to uh, pervade our industry. So we're, 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 we can't make up our minds how to build and to deploy and test software, can we? It's, uh, you know, so I think I'm on my third iteration of how the, how the hell we think we, we should build software in the future. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I'm just curious, like, I wonder, personally, I think, you know, you talk about, it was 15 years for Agile and it's still growing, but I wonder, like, uh, other processes like uh, continuous development or delivery and deployment, I wonder, are they going to catch on and DevOps start spreading a lot quicker than Agile did? Because Agile sort of, once you embrace Agile, it's a lot easier to embrace other processes and it could happen a lot quicker. Uh, yeah, good point. I think so. I mean, I, I think digital will move faster than Agile. Yeah. I mean, there's the two reasons, I think. One would be you have to be Agile and flexible and embrace change, as the saying goes, in order to go down the digital route. Now, the reason that digital might happen faster is digital is not an IT initiative. It's a business initiative. And so what's actually happening with digital is we're having, if you like, marketeers, let's put it that way. Yeah. We ha we're having people who are commercially oriented, marketeers, market oriented. They are very impatient driving digital projects. So the leadership of digital projects and transformations in all scales of, of organizations is much more aggressive. The thing with IT is, although, you know, when we say, you know, we're going agile, I mean, 15 years later, we're only halfway there. I, I mean, I, I think less than halfway, you know. With digital, digital has gone from nowhere to actually almost everyone you meet is working on digital projects in like two, three years, you know. Yeah. So it's the, the, the pace of that is terrifying in some ways because it's much faster than IT. I mean, I think IT guys, again, this is a criticism of our industry and I've got lots of them, I'm afraid, especially because I've seen all the bad stuff as well as a lot of good stuff. The pace of change in IT is much slower than it is in business. It's a really conservative and almost fashion-driven industry. And change happens because uh, marketeers in the big IT suppliers, whether it's hardware or software, decide that for the next 15 years, we're going to move toward distributed software, or we're going to go mobile, or we're going to go down the Internet of Things route. These things take a generation almost to complete. Whereas if business decides that they're going to go digital, it's a five-year plan and there's an end to it. You know, yeah. that's, and I think that's the world we're in. So we are, you know, if, if business could do uh, what they want to do without software, they would jump at the chance. In many ways, we're an enabling, an enabler to business transformation. But in many other ways, we are a, you know, a ball and chain and we hold people back which is just the way it is. Uh, software is not a simple thing. And I just want to go back on something you said about testing between 1992 and now, that you said it's more of a career choice now. Would you say that now? Because there's no, like, I'm just talking about, just example, the university, you still do, you can do computer science now, but I don't know if there's any formal courses in software testing. 
Yeah. You think people go to college now, I don't want to be disparaging, but the people go to college thinking they want to be a software tester. Like usually if you do computer <laughs> science, computer science in college, you want to do or university, you want to do software development or something like that. So yeah. I know they end up falling into it. But I'm just curious in your thoughts and like the sort of, there has never been a formal structure to software testing as in mm. an education path. It's usually you start off in one area and you find a lot of testers even when they come into the industry, they come in from such a wide spectrum of different domain backgrounds and roles that people have been done been working, for example, being teachers or have worked in like different areas of science or something like that and come into software testing. So yeah. what are your thoughts on it, how the structure of it? And I think you're right. I mean, I mean, I got into software testing almost by accident in my own way, you know, and most of the people you meet in the business, certainly people who've got a few years experience under their belt, when they look back, they were maybe a developer who got bored with writing code and found testing more interesting. Or they were a, they worked on the business side of a bank, got involved in acceptance testing and thought, hey, this is a good way into IT and maybe a better future. Uh, there are people, you know, business analysts who get, uh, have gotten into testing. And it, it's, it, it, it was almost an accidental career choice. Now, I think now it's, that's changed, but you're quite right. I mean, I, I think uh, Ken Kainer and Florida Tech in the U.S. Uh, do a dedicated testing degree and, and postgrad courses and, and, okay. and qualifications. But you're quite right. Uh, most universities don't see testing as a, uh, a discipline in its own right. It's, it's a module perhaps in a software engineering course. But the, the people who take on software engineering degrees mostly want to be programmers. They want to, they want to, they want, they're, 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 they love the technology. They see that as an opportunity to do something they find really exciting and, uh, people who love problem solving and working with uh, yeah, working with, if you like, logic in their minds. Uh, and, and that's what drives people towards software, I think. But um, I think you're right in that it's still uh, a shortcoming in our education system, I guess, that testing doesn't have a bigger prominence. I mean, a, a module in a software engineering class is great, but hold on, uh, it's as big as software development, you know, the rest of software development put together. So, yeah, and it's a never-ending. We haven't solved the, the big problems of testing yet. Well, I've got my theories, but what yeah. I'm trying to say is it's still a dynamic subject. So, to me, that makes it more interesting than learning the next programming language. I mean, to me, that's kind of really, really boring. You know, it's like, well, why would I do that? Why learn a new technology? What was wrong with the old one? You know, and that's because we are a fashion industry in many degrees. So um, I think we've got a, a almost a better heritage of development of our craft than developers. And that's quite a big thing to say. Developers are still stuck on, on figuring out what's the best typed language to use in this situation. Well, I think, well, what the hell? I don't care. Just find one and use it. It's just a tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you I was a cynic. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good. Um, and sort of speaking of education, you are a prolific uh, speaker, like you've, uh, you do a lot of uh, events and conferences. I wonder, um, how do you find that in terms of your own learning? What do you do reading about new areas or in just in particular testing yeah. in terms of reading from others? Like, how do you approach your learning and in, how about imparting to others as well? Well, I, you know, I read the usual blogs and stuff and I pay attention to what's, you know, the news that's flying around and the yeah. conferences. But I, 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 the, the two things that I think I find most useful to myself 
on how uh, I learn how to uh, you know, improve over time, I guess, is talking to people and whether that's people in the conferences or, you know, you know, I run the Assurance Leadership Forum and yeah. that community, you know, and the Eurostar community and all the communities that spread around the world. Talking to people is the single biggest deal. Just getting in front of a whiteboard sometimes and just saying, well, let's walk through this. How did we work this out? I mean, how do you have... And, and, and people coming up to you and say, oh, you're an, you're an expert, so-called. And I'll say, yes, of course I am. And then they'll ask you a question that's completely left field. And you think, oh, my goodness me, that's a really tough one. And then you have to go away and think. And maybe you can give a five-minute answer and you think, I'm not really helping here, but I'll go and have a think about that. That's what really moves me on. And I'd say it's the people thing is probably the most, re- not, uh, the most um, fulfilling part of it. But the other angle is I write code and I, 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 I run my own servers in the cloud. I've got, I, I host about 40 websites. I write code most days. If you're putting software together, you spend most of your time as a developer thinking about testing. So that is my craft. So I'm, my craft is software development as a programmer of small scale little systems. They have to be, obviously. But I learn my craft through using tools and ex- experimenting and exploring what can be done with these things. And then coming up with some ideas for how, how, how do you plug all these things together in a DevOps world? And actually, on the one hand, that sounds terribly complex and sophisticated, but actually for a programmer, it's not that complicated. It's just software, it's just code. And uh, it's, a, it's a lovely place to be, you know, to be a programmer in this world because uh, life is so much easier than it used to be. Now, that, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound, that sounds like an old man saying it was, it was horrible in the, in the good old bad old days. But it's a fact. The tools that are available now are so sophisticated compared with what, you know, you had to write everything yourself 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, and I, I look back at the people who, you know, I was learning from 30 years ago who said, you know, they were writing um, billing systems in 8K of memory. You think that's just not possible, but they did it, you know. So um, it's, on the one hand, uh, the tools are so much more sophisticated and the open source community is wonderful. Uh, on the other hand, everything has become so much more complex because of the facilities and features that are at your disposal. Everything overlaps with everything else and plucking out the functionality that you need to glue together to do the job you want to do is the big challenge of software people, I think, today. Yeah, and um, you've not just um, approached the um, practical side in terms of tools, but you've you've been... Um, prolific in the, on the theoretical side because um, perhaps you can in, introduce our listeners to it if they haven't heard of it, the new model of testing. Well, having been around for so long, what, what mm. tends to happen, uh, as you will discover as you grow older, Ronan, you yeah. start <laughs> having to answer, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Yeah. What happens is you start hearing the same questions all over again. So five years after we solved all the problems of, say, client server, the internet becomes the next big deal. And it's like all the same questions of distributed systems come up again. And you think, well, hold on, I've been there before. By the same token, so on, on the technical side, you get the same questions coming up again and again. Uh, the answers don't change so much, but they do evolve over time. But the things that don't change are the challenges that people have in thinking through how they solve the problem of test. The questions like, how do I get my boss to take testing seriously? How do I decide how much testing is enough? How do I decide when to start testing, when to stop testing? How do I decide whether my sources of knowledge, the requirements I'm using, is good enough to proceed with software development 
or testing or both. You know, how do I, uh, how do I convince uh, uh, managers that what I've done is adequate and satisfies you know their need for confidence that things work? How do I communicate? You know, how do I communicate what I do so they take me seriously when I say when I wave a red flag and say there's a problem here? So those questions are absolutely the same for all generations. So I've always had it in my kind of gut that uh, there must be some way of articulating how we think to help us to answer those questions. Now, what the new model is, is an attempt to say, let's look at testing from the perspective of the absolutely fundamental thought processes, you know, what goes on in our brains. And so my way of approaching that, which I came up with a couple of years ago as a thought experiment, I just thought this would be an interesting thing to do, was to say, let's clear away all the uh, clutter, all the junk that gets in our way. And I'll call that logistics. Okay, so I say, clear away all the logistics from your thinking. And then what's left, you should be left with um, the pure thought process of test. So what are logistics? Well, the way I present it, and I'll just go into my lecturing mode if I'm not there already. I say it like this. I say, for the next few minutes, I don't care whether you write your test down or not. It doesn't matter. It's got nothing to do with thinking. It's logistic. I don't care whether you're uh, structured, waterfall, agile, continuous, DevOps. Don't care. Don't care what technology you use. I don't care what business you're in. You know, um, I don't care whether you use tools to run tests or you use people or some other piece of magic. And if you say, take all that away, what's left is, you know, in some people's minds, oh, my God, it's all gone. There's nothing left. What do I do? But actually, it's not the case. What's left is the pure thought. It's like a theoretical, you know, uh, white room where you have um, clarity of thinking, clarity of thought. Okay. so what the new model is is it's a set of 10 thinking processes that I believe everyone has and uses in their testing, whether it's uh, looking at requirements and talking to people to understand the system right at the very beginning or right at the very end, handing off, you know, if you like, a report to say this is a summary of the test. Between those two endpoints, there are, in essence, I would suggest, 10 thought processes like you're asking questions, learning, gathering information, or you are formulating or, or uh, modeling in your own mind the problem to understand it, or you are using those mental models or written models, if you write them down, you're using those models to uh, select meaningful tests that are useful, you know, uh, or you are running those tests by some means, by some mechanism, by some magic, if you like. Now, those individual thought processes everyone has and all the new model does is try and string them together into like a story and so what you have is this little schematic this picture which looks like a crawling insect which simply strings together the 10 thought processes into a a schematic if you like now so what you have is this picture and you say well okay it's a model it's wrong but is it useful and so What I'm using it for is to make a much better case for what skills we need as testers. I'm using it to map onto things like uh, behavior-driven development, which it matches. And if you like, the whole thing about BDD is a collaboration, which is the left-hand side of my model. It fits perfectly, you know. 
Um, the whole notion of testing versus checking this and the other, I, I've got a much uh, better explanation of how you might understand the difference between checking and, and uh, the rest of testing, if you like. Yeah. Um, I also have a much better explanation of how automation can be understood. And essentially, automation uses different models from functional testing. And I'm, I'm also using it to explain why developers make lousy testers, because they use the models they construct to understand a requirement to build code to also derive their tests. And that's where they fall down. They, they bring their assumptions in their uh, software design model into their testing. And that's kind of where they kind of lose the thread, if you like. Yeah. So, so the whole what I'm trying to say essentially is uh, it's just a picture of a whole set of activities I think everybody does and kind of glues them together and you can use it to tell a story and to uh, ask good questions as well. Have you tried to apply it or have you other people apply this, uh, tried it out? Well, it's, it's, it's one of those funny things. I mean, I don't ask for, you know, I ask people to give me feedback on how they use yeah. it. But to me, it's not, a, it's not a tool for doing something, if that makes sense. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something to, that might help you to reflect on what you're doing right now. So if you're in a, a prickly position with the developers, where you're really frustrated that you think the requirements aren't right and they're crushing on writing code, you could put the picture on the wall and present it to them saying, this is how I'm thinking and I think this is how you think. I'm still being challenged by the state of the requirements. So I'm still asking awkward questions of users to figure out what this software should do. In the meantime, you're implementing code. So there's a, there's a schism in this project. You know, you're here on the map and I'm over here on the map to the left. So we have a problem here because when I come to test your code, I know I'm going to find problems because you've not asked those awkward questions that I just asked. So what the model makes very clear is how you can collaborate in, say, BDD or collaborate in general on the left-hand side to clarify requirements with stakeholders. Okay. Because, because by doing that, then you're all on the same page. You have a common understanding, not necessarily the same model, but you know your models are consistent. So the, the developer model of what should happen and the tester model of what they want to test are not the same, but they're consistent with each other, if that makes sense. And what are your hopes for the model? As in, like, how would you, in, for example, an ideal situation, how would you like to see it applied or used? Okay, well, the, the two things that I'm doing, one is, I think, once you strip all the junk away, uh, I've got, I can make a very good case for saying why the certified schemes are less useful than they should be. Okay. So, for example, if you look at the table of contents for the ISTQB Foundation, say, what you'll notice is the table of contents is almost entirely logistics. All the stuff I just said I do not care about because they are not relevant to the thought process of testing. So I can now make a very good case for saying certification will not make you a better tester. So to me, that's a nice little packaged up job that I can take wherever I go on the planet at any conference and say I can make this case and I can explain why people have frustrations with it. That's one. The other thing is like when you think about the core activities of inquiry, challenging, modeling, informing your tests through modeling and so on, each one of these thought processes requires certain skills. Now those skills are underpinned very often by interpersonal skills but the technical skills required are, are things like critical thinking, which is like 
sorely missing from a lot of people's background and, and, and education. And we are meant to be critic, and yet we are not necessarily very good critical thinkers. The whole notion of Socratic reasoning, of modeling, of predicate logic, hypothesis and inference, the design of experiments, forensics, all this stuff, which is actually part of our job. You know, I, like last night, I went to a meetup and asked, I had about 40 people and I asked how many people have done the semantics and predicate logic is the one, you know, the analyzing language. Um, I think I got two hands out of 40. And that's pretty good. That's more than I usually get. You know, how many people have heard of Socrates? Well, everyone. But who's done a two-hour class on Socratic questioning? No one. And yet, that's what we do when we question our sources of knowledge, our users, when we try and get to the bottom of a requirement. We ask questions we know the answer to because we want to encourage our users to think the same way we do so they can see the flaws in their requirements, their stories, their scenarios, whatever content they're giving us to define the behavior of our software. So these skills are absolutely fundamental to what we do, and yet hardly anyone is teaching them, and hardly anyone is uh, waving a flag saying, I demand to have these skills available. Um, so I'm a bit of a, I'm not a lone voice, but I'm kind of very prominent in trying to get people to think much more carefully about the skills they need to become a professional software tester, or a system tester, or any, any kind of test. And, and one thing to drop in is when I say tester, I don't mean professional testers necessarily. I mean anyone who tests. It could be an end user, could be a business analyst, developers who do an awful lot of testing, architects, whoever. Okay, it's the whole, the whole shebang. So the second thing I'm doing, yeah. the first thing is skills. Yeah. The second thing is, and when I do my keynote at Eurostar, you'll know a lot more about it, but I'm also working on a, uh, a bot that will act as a paired tester to support exploration or surveying, as I might call it nowadays. Uh, of systems to understand how to test them. So I think if we are going to get into the realm of machine learning and AI and uh, robots, not replacing testers, but supporting testers, at least in the, in the medium term, I think the model helps you understand what contributions AI and, and uh, machine learning can make. So that's, I'm in the early days of that. I'll, I'll certainly have a, I've already got a prototype working, which I'm comfortable has some value. Whether I can point the, point the way to the future for us all in 10 or 20 years, I don't know. But that's kind of my hobby or my, my hobby project or my kind of uh, visionary sideline, if you like, <laughs> at the moment. That's the other thing I'm working on. It's very interesting. And it's a, I admire the, idea or the concept of stripping everything away by the core testing and as a model i'm sure anyone would or any manager would applaud a cio or ceo because if you're getting down to the core role of what someone is doing then ideally that's the way you'd want to be rather than thinking about like well any role involves logistics but yeah yeah um, like on the one hand i think everyone i've i've, I've probably presented it to you know, on webinars, you know, with you guys, you know, with Eurostar, yeah. of course, uh, and, you know, around quite a few countries of the world now. I've probably presented it to about 5,000 people, I'd guess. It's more than three, maybe, maybe, maybe four or five. It's of that scale. And I've never had anyone say it's wrong. What I have said is uh, one or two people have said, hold on, this isn't new. And I say to that, that's not a criticism. I say, Hallelujah. It means if you're telling me it's not new, I'm kind of hitting the right spots in your brain. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I may have a point here, you know. So you saying it's not new is telling me that I'm getting closer to 
what really happens inside your head. So, so that's the only, and that's the worst criticism. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a very positive thing. It, it, it says, well, if it's not you, I must be getting there. You know, so uh, there's something in this. So I'm, I'm really, obviously, I'll probably sound a bit hyperventilated and excited or whatever, but I'm really excited about it because I keep coming up to these ancient questions like how much testing is enough? When do we stop? When do we start? How do we articulate what we do? These are all things that I'm finding the model will help me to explain and articulate in a much more kind of um, meaningful way. So I can talk to uh, the guy who's um, uh, kicking off his startup in his back bedroom or the guy who's running a 10,000 man year project for a bank, both of which I've done. Yeah. yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, I'm really, really comfortable with it. So I'm, yeah, I'll take on all comers with it. I, I'm really happy with it. How do you think that will fit into the future of testing? So if just talking about testing in general, like we talked about the introduction of Agile, and that seemed to change the testing a lot in the early noughties. But mm. where, where do you see the future going now from now looking like five, ten years ahead? There's a, a fallout, I think is the word I should use, from uh, what Agile introduced, you know, literally about 15 years, maybe more than that, 15 years ago, I think 2001. Um, and I don't know if you recall, but in 2010 or 11, whenever uh, the Google guys were promoting this idea of testing is dead, you know, there was this meme of testing yeah. is dead. And like people got up in arms and saying, what the hell, this is this can't be right. This is nonsense. This, that, and the other. But I, I think they took the wrong message from what was being said there. It was they were just saying the old way of testing is dead. But they weren't very clear on explaining as what that old way was and what the new way could be. I think what's happening now is people have come to terms with the fact that, you know what, testing at the end isn't always a good idea. I mean, it's an idea, but it's not the only idea. And sometimes it's a very bad idea. Uh, so the whole idea of shift left I think, derives from this original testing is dead meme from a few years ago. Yeah. And it's, it's come from pressure from business. And the whole digital thing is making this almost uh, um, uh, a no-brainer. that This is the way you've got to go. If you're going to move into a much more rapid uh, iteration and where you're delivering monthly, fortnightly, weekly, daily, or even multiple times daily, whatever, whatever you are on that spectrum, you have to shift testing to the left in your projects. That might mean the testers embed with developers. That might mean you get rid of your testers and you put the ownership and responsibility for testing on the developers. It could be anything in between those two things. Yeah. And with the notion of automation and whatever coming in to give you this rapidity and this, this uh, uh, hugely speeded up cycle of from idea to deployment and implementation in production because marketeers want to test things and test them in the morning and test them in the afternoon and test them tomorrow and change it all again on Wednesday. That attitude is now the only response can be you've got to bring testing absolutely as close to the coal face as you can. So what that means is in order for us to use uh, to adopt uh, shift left to adopt automation, Several things have to happen. One is we need to be much smarter at the way we design tests because we've got tools that will run a million tests. They're, they're, they're everywhere. You know, some of them are free. You know, What we haven't got is any support to do test design of those million tests. And that's where testers are the bottleneck in this game. 
So what I see happening and I, what, I, what I see as almost inevitable is a lot of people who are testers today are probably going to fall by the wayside. You know, they're not going to ha either have the skills or the wish to become involved in what is really a different discipline, something that works with such rapidity. So we become hands-on testers. From there, we become modelers with sophisticated tools, creating tests which tools will run and using the tools to generate visualizations, analytics, all the clever stuff that our businesses are beginning to do with uh, data in production systems. We're going to have to do the same thing with our technologies as well. But that, that almost entirely depends on having very smart people doing modeling, using their brains in a very sophisticated way. And I think there's a lot of people in our industry, as I said earlier at the start, the industry now is like, I don't know how many testers there were and how many there are now, but there might be two or three million on the planet. I don't know. Uh, there might have been two or three hundred thousand on the planet 20 years ago. Um, I think we're kind of overmanned. You know, I think there'll yeah. be a, a quite brutal change. And I'm sure you've heard of, of you know, like um, artificial intelligence is going to kill off 50 percent of all jobs. Uh, yeah. We are not immune to that. We are certainly not immune to that. So uh, one of the things I'm trying to do with my bots and to talk about uh, 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 from here from here to there is this notion of will robots replace testers? I don't think they will. Well, they might eventually, but certainly not in the in the next five years. But I think what that might happen is we will have this idea of a of an intelligent agent, a bot, and a, a, an Echo Dot with an Alexa running on it. You know that kind of idea. We'll have a smart pair who will help us to keep track of what we do, but also give us hints because it has access to data and can analyze it in ways we can never see. So this is what I I think is happening. So what? will testers need to do in the future i mean it's it's to me it's all about skills it's absolutely yeah. about skills now it's not about technology uh technology will come that's not our problem that will come to serve our skills if we don't have those skills those technologies are useless so to me it's about this whole notion of how we think how we model how we use technology as a lever to understand data in a much more sophisticated way than we have done you know, with spreadsheets and pie charts and all that kind of nonsense. Um, that's kind of like accountants using quill pens. We're going to have to move much faster towards using data in a more sophisticated way. Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to ask you there, because I might kind of... Sorry, this sort of contradiction in the question, but um, coding it seems to become more and more an essential skill for a tester, obviously as the growth of test automation, but at the same time, you might, you're suggesting that robots could, in one way, well, not you're suggesting, but robots could replace testers in what, in part of the role, and obviously the most likely part of it would be in the test automation role as a test engineers, because yeah. it's the e easiest part for uh, a robot to do. So I wonder, um, as coding becomes, uh, it seems to become more and more of an essential skill. Do you see a contradiction there in a sort of way? Do you think testers should be, you talk about skills, should testers be learning to code? Well, firstly, the tools we have at the moment, if you think about test automation, I mean, there's a yeah. debate on whether that's a terrible label for what those tools do. And I kind of agree. I mean, it doesn't automate tests, it, testing. It automates, the, it automates the execution of tests. And a lot of the tools that are out there in terms of using virtual machines to create environments, 
containers, continuous integration. This is all logistical stuff to do with running tests. Well, running tests is one of the 10 thinking activities that testers do. The other nine thinking activities are simply not supported very well by the tools industry for us. So there's lots of scope for us to make progress on tools elsewhere. Test execution automation is what it is. It, it is literally what, what we'd understand as a stupid robot doing something really rather simple. In order to get to the point where you have auto, an automaton running your tests, you have to have a very clear understanding about everything on the left-hand side of my model. You have to have clear requirements, a very clear understanding, a model that can be uh, meaningfully automated, uh, a mechanism for generating reports and, inter and making it easy to interpre interpret by humans. These are the things that are not supported by current technologies. So there's lots of scope for that. And also, they're not here now. There are some good modeling tools available now and maybe, maybe some test generation tools on the way now. But we're still poorly supported. So I think all that happens is I can, I, can, I can envision a time when a tester never runs a test by hand. I mean, I, I see no reason for that not to happen. You know, why would you get our hands dirty in that, in that way, if you, if you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a bit like, suppose you were testing a chess program. Probably you, you, never do, you never play a chess game by hand. You will always, always, always prepare large numbers of test games, and you will always, always, always run them through a tool. There's no value in doing it manually. It doesn't help anybody or anything, perhaps. So I, I can envisage uh, systems and services being tested entirely by tools, the test execution run by tools, but testers or the people thinking about testing, could be a developer, um, spend most of the time modeling, writing scenarios, getting to the, through the collaboration activities, understanding what's going on in the requirement in the first place, and so on. So I think we move away from hands-on testing to what I would call assurance. You're less interested in the execution of tests than the output from that process, which might well be 100,000 records which can be analyzed in all manner of visual ways. That, and uh, the tester becomes less of a, an implementer of tests than a, uh, a questioner of people at the start, the sources of knowledge, questioner of developers who are writing their code as they write it, and uh, an analyst of data in both the test environment and in production, because the whole notion of shift left is we you know, bring test activities into, in, into earlier work, if you like, in the process. But let's talk also a lot of, not nowadays of shift right or test analytics, which is looking at yeah. activity in production. And we use the same analytics in production, perhaps, as we would in our test environment. And uh, so I, 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 I can't tell you exactly how I think it will turn out, but I think the emphasis of what we do will be, will be things like we'll become more valuable members of our team, I think there'll be fewer of us. I think we'll use tools and continue to use tools to execute tests, naturally. We'll use better tools to uh, help us design and formulate good tests and scenarios of great complexity. Um, I think we'll become advisors, you know, in the broader business context. And, and to me, this is all moving us up the food chain. You know, this is where I think 
I mean, some of the projects I've done in the last 20 years have been in that space where I didn't do any testing. All I did was observe what other people did, make comment, give advice, and articulate what the testers were doing to project uh, boards or senior people in business and said, this is what you're spending your money on. This is the information you're getting from your test teams, whether it's a, an individual, you know, who's doing a good job but can't explain very well what they do, or it's a team of 1,500 people in India who are all working on the same project, producing yeah. oceans of data. You know, it's the same discipline. You know, I'm really, com yeah. I'm really confident that the thinking processes of uh, one guy working in his back bedroom is exactly the same as uh, the 1,500 guys working in a, uh, an office in Pune or Hyderabad or wherever. You know, it's, uh, it's the same business. It's the same game. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting what you say about moving up the chain because I read a piece recently, I can't remember where, about talking about how basically coding will become a role as in every second or third person in the developing economy or developed economy role that they might take on, like the most common job description will be a coder <laughs> or a, a, someone, a developer, because there'll be so much need for coding and, deve and developers that there'll be, they're talking about, like this will be the new call centers, basically. Be yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, the people learn to code and you'll have, I mean, huge offices full of coders, and <laughs> that's that's the future because doing jobs that it's like uh, the jobs or job roles are changing, and that this will require the future will require a huge amount of coders, and mm. that it makes sense then if you talk about software testers that if they're able to be analytical and uh, thinking about looking a part of the insurance as part of that, mm -hmm. that they would be sort of in a different role than that. They, you wouldn't have a thousand software testers in to meet those thousand software developers. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think if you have, um, if everyone, every third person or whatever is writing code, yeah. every fourth or fifth person will be a tester. So there's been no shortage of work for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think what code, coding, although I think that's a kind of a trite kind of comment, everyone will be a coder. They're not going to be writing low-level code to do, they'll be, they'll be, They'll be writing or, 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 or capturing code or designing code to, yeah. to do um, business processes. Uh, but in the way, this was like the big promise of 20 or 30 years ago with the ERP systems when they came along. The whole idea of ERP was to automate manual processes so that with good data, the systems do all the work. You know, it's as simple as that. So what will happen is uh, things like uh, call center, uh, call centers will it's likely that outgoing call centers will disappear. You know, so the cold calling yeah. nonsense you get from people trying to sell you double glazing or whatever, all that is being, yeah. is being automated. And it's being automated by people who will be writing code to script the dialogues performed by robots. And built into that will be some uh, artificial intelligence to interpret responses, to make choices and so on and so forth. So the programming will be at a much higher level. It'll be programming a robot, not programming uh, a web page, you know. So okay. uh, I think there's a very strong likelihood of that. The other thing is, like, uh, on the one hand, the doom and gloom merchants or the futurists might say 50% of all jobs will be replaced by robots. Yeah, but there's a whole lot of jobs which don't exist today, which will, will emerge from a new economy, which is basically what's happening. And 
like the Germans, I think they, I may get this wrong, but I think they call it Industry 4. They call it like the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. So it's like, okay, people will uh, not work in the fields, they'll go and work in cities in factories. That was one phase of industrial revolution. Yeah. What might happen, it, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but their argument is this is another industrial revolution. And so the the society of 50 years ahead of us now will be much different to what we see today. Uh, and that seems to be a, a a reasonable vision to have, that, that actually some jobs that don't exist today will emerge. You know, it's as simple as that. And hopefully that will accommodate the people who find themselves out of work because they were a call center operator, <laughs> for example. Wrap it up uh, there, Paul, because I kept you for almost an hour. Before I finish, though, I want to ask you about your visit to GCHQ during the week. Right. I, I seen on Twitter that you were visiting GCHQ. And uh, for those outside the UK, international listeners, I might be aware of uh, GCHQ was with the British equivalent of the NSA, if I'm right. Uh, I can't. Uh, kind of, I, I mean, the, the the what happened was I got a, a request to go and do a talk two days ago. Sorry, to do the talk two days ago, but I got it on Thursday, which is very short notice. But it was no problem, yeah. and I was just intrigued. And I thought, yeah, why not? And so I asked the guy who asked me, um, "Is there a program for the day?" It was like a two-day internal conference on testing, and uh, I asked for uh, the program. He said, "No, you can't give it to you. It's classified." So, oh, okay, thanks. Uh, but he picked out some buzzwords, um, mostly the technologies and the ideas and concepts that have been discussed. And pretty much it's the same mix of stuff that's happening outside GCHQ as inside. Now, what GCHQ is, is if you like, it's the it was uh, I was given very, uh, very grateful to have a little a personal tour of a small museum they've got there with a lot of the Bletchley products. So in, in effect, the GCHQ of today is the, the, the grandchild, if you like, of the code breakers who worked in the war to break you know, the Enigma codes and the Enigma machines, which I saw a couple uh, when I was in, uh, you know, in, the, in the office in Cheltenham. So it's, it was an interesting uh, little exercise, but I have to say I learned very little other than what I saw in the museum because obviously I was wheeled in, did my talk and wheeled out, uh, essentially. But they were very pleasant people, very laid-back place, I have to say. It was very, um, it was, it was pretty cool, I have to say. I mean, I would, I would be very curious as to what goes on inside uh, behind the uh, public face of the, uh, of the building, if you like. But, but they're working on exactly the same problems we are. I would say, yes. you know, I talked about the new model idea and uh, yes. it went down quite well. I mean, people said, oh, yeah, interesting, you know, so I, you know, you know what I mean? And no one complained. You know, no one said that's wrong. No one said. So I'm, I'm, I was really gratified that, you know, people working in what a lot of us would say is a really obscure part of our world have exactly the same, I would say, human problems as everybody else does. So I was re I was reassured by that, even though I have no idea what they're up to. It's fascinating, anyway, to be uh, speaking somewhere like that. Yeah, Paul, we want to. I'll leave it there now because I'm conscious of time and I don't want to keep you too long. But th thanks very much for talking with me today on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. Not at all. It's my pleasure. Lovely. And folks, if you want to, uh, if you're curious about more about Paul, Paul, how can uh, people find you on the uh, internet? Well, our website is GerardConsulting.com. Or on Twitter, I'm Paul underscore Gerard. Perfect. And Paul will be speaking at Your Star this year in November in Copenhagen. 
and you'll be uh, talking about te- the title of the talk is Testing with an Invisible Friend mm-hmm. if you're curious you should uh, probably uh, get along to your star and check that out or even as Paul said check out his website or uh, chat to Paul on Twitter as well I'm sure you'd be happy to chat with anyone who's curious to about the new model or anything like that of course yes perfect that's great Paul uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us today folks and the next podcast will be in a month's time uh, James Thomas will be our next guest on here on the Huddle podcast but for myself for now uh, thank you very much for tuning in and make sure subscribe and download and don't forget to rate us on iTunes it really means a lot and leave a comment of uh, any thoughts you have and if you have any suggestions for future guests get in touch with me it's ronan at that's my email address and you can contact me there so until next time thank you very much uh, take care and bye bye